welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore-Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. We're on chapter 6, and this is the 17th part of the reading. And if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner to help support the podcast, or you can check out the Mariner podcast with all things sailing and seamanship each week, or of course, the Mariner YouTube channel, where you can see gear reviews, how-to videos, and me engaged in expeditions and projects all over the world. Now on with the story. Chapter 6 continued. On the morning of the 16th of March, conditions for the ascent of Mount Mast were as good as I could expect. I reckoned to drop the mizzen staysail, bows down the main staysail boom and the mizzen boom to leeward, after sheeting them as hard as I can, then I shall jibe and head up into the wind. With the sails aback, Gypsy Moth should do little more than creep ahead, the pitching should be damped and the mast will be heeled a few degrees so that the ratlines are to windward to make it easier for me balancing on top of them to work on the jumper stays. Usual sea-like, as the Devon lads used to say. When I got into position at the weather cross tree, I thought for a minute that I should have to climb down again. I'd left the long broom handle on the deck attached to a long cord of which I took one end up to the ratlines with me. I needed the pole to get one of the stays free. It had spiralled itself in and out over the two staysail stays above and was out of reach. When I tried to haul the broom handle up, it had caught one end under the furled topsail on deck. I tugged and tugged but could not get it free. The cord was attached near one end of the pole and it was the short pole end above my clove hitch which was caught up. In the end, I pulled so hard that I upended the long piece of pole on the other side of the knot and it came away. When I did get the jumper stay free, it lashed round the other side of the mast, and the bottle screw at the end of it flew back and hit me on the cheek. Luckily, it was not a serious blow. Once, while I was using both hands to make a loop out of the bottom end of one of the jumper stay wires, and using a racking seizing to bind the two parts of wire together, I got a scare which made my blood feel hot around my heart. Gypsy Moth suddenly pitched, jerking the mast forward and trying to catapult me away. I had my legs round the mast with my ankles locked together. Fortunately, they stood the strain and I regained my balance. I was lucky to be working at the cross trees where I could sit astride one of them. If the job had been higher up, I would have had to stand with a foot in a kind of stirrup set on one side of the mast and the other in a similar step, two feet higher, on the other side. So most of my weight would have been on the ball of one foot and I could not have lasted out anything like the time it took me to do the job, one hour and thirteen minutes. To me, it always seemed much higher up a mast than it is. Perhaps this is because I fear any height if it is possible to fall from it. I never had this fear strongly before my flying crash in Japan in 1931. Sitting astride the cross tree, my head was only 34 feet above the sea, yet it felt like three times that height. The sun was shining in a clear sky and the deck laid out below on the vast expanse of ultramarine ocean was a fine sight, but what interested me most and greatly surprised me was the size of the pale yellow patches of sargasso weed lying flat on the surface. These weed ponds were far bigger than I had ever imagined from the deck, where I suppose they appeared foreshortened. Some were as big as two tennis courts joined together. For once, everything went well with this job, and I could not find any damage to the topsail track on the lee side of the mast. I was left without jumper struts, but when I came down... I voted for a walloping brandy, sour and hot, as a treat for breakfast, and I really enjoyed it. At 1900 hours on the 16th of March, Gypsy Moth was three hours from the 40th meridian, and the turn south for the run down to the equator. 
Gypsy Moth ambling eastward against wind and current from Crooked Island to 26 degrees 30 minutes north, 39 degrees 51 minutes west, had logged 2,213.3 miles in 15 days and 11 minutes, averaging 147.5 miles per day and had made good 1,890.5 miles in a fix-to-fix straight line, averaging 125.6 miles per day. I was excited, uneasy and reluctant. I'd grown used to my holiday plug to windward and suddenly I had to turn at right angles and charge down the middle of the ocean for 1,600 miles as fast as Gypsy Moth would go. It would be a joy to get a free wind as I sailed south, though that would not be until the wind backed from the present southeast to east or northeast. Surely that must be soon, or had Alias not heard that this was a northeast trade wind zone and not a southeast one. Chapter 7 The Equator Dart I tacked to the south at 22.12 on the 16th of March. My new adventure was on. By noon on the 17th, Gypsy Moth was plugging into a 20-knot wind. It was rough on deck forward, with a lot of sea and spray coming aboard. According to the American pilot chart, this was the edge of the trade wind belt, and I imagined that the squalls of the past few days were turbulence created by the mixing of two different zones of air, but I was hoping for some milder weather before reaching the 20th parallel. 1800 hours. There is still fairly rough weather about. A dirty big squall is just passing some miles astern, and another passed ahead some time ago. I expect to catch another sooner or later. I am running the motors to charge the batteries, which are badly down. There was a heavy drain on current with the radio telegraphy session, and I used a lot more with spreader lights and so on during a squall in the night. However, I am anxiously watching the inclinometer, which measures the angle of heel, because I fear that too much heel will prevent the oil from circulating and the bearings will seize up. This happened with my charging motor in 1962. Occasionally, Gypsy Moth slips upright and I hope that this is sufficient to circulate the oil. At midnight, a hefty squall with 40 knot gusts went through. I woke up just before it and noticed the heading which backed to southeast. The wind started to freshen up so I reckoned a squall was on the way and I got into a hard weather suit to be ready for it. I had to use the tiller tackles to turn off the wind when Gypsy Moth would not answer the helm, and for about a quarter of an hour we ran off southwest before the blast. Later the wind dropped and freed, and had I been enthusiastic I would have set bigger sails, but I was content to hold to the southeast heading through the night and gain some valuable easting. I thought I would just pop up and hoist the mizzen staysail, but I left it down and the wind soon swung back to set Gypsy Moth close hauled again, heading south in a wind of 27 knots from the east-southeast. If I stuck to my heading, Gypsy Moth would take too much of a pounding, and if I paid off as I'd just done, it would result in my being 60 miles downwind or west of the 40th meridian by the time I reached the starting line the next day. That I could ill afford, so I decided to hold on for an hour in the hope of it easing. That would cost 2.6 miles of leeway. The bigger worry was that my scheme would be euchred if the wind persisted from this direction. I thought the best tactics were to pinch up as much as tolerable for the present and then turn off the wind enough to increase the speed to the minimum needed for 200 miles per day. As it was, Gypsy Moth was doing seven knots. The wind was coming out of a fine, sunny sky, so I thought it was the true trade wind and would not now ease off. The direction south of east did worry me, but I could not believe that the wind would not back two and possibly four points to east-northeast during the next 200 miles. I went to sleep about 1900 hours, and apart from the hourly stirrings to know that all was well, slept till half past midnight. 
when I found the weather fine and mild, with a nice breeze. Going to sleep soon after nightfall is quite a good move for the single-hander, because he is nearly always up for a good chunk of the night, either on deck work or crises, and it makes half-past two in the morning seem a good time to have dinner. Afternoon, the next day, the 19th, the wind veered instead of backing, and the time came when Gypsy Moth was headed to the west of south with a southeasterly breeze. As she had not got up to racing speed, I felt this was squandering hard-gained easting, so I tacked to the eastward. The more easting I got, the better. In fact, I had been regretting that I had not held on for another 500 miles when I was at 27 degrees north. That would have given me more scope to sail between south and southwest on the speed run without running into South America or making it difficult to get another speed run on the way back from the equator. After tacking, I found it pleasant to be heading east again, with the westering sun streaming into the cabin through the companion. I had been heading east for so long that I'd had a twinge of regret, like homesickness, at leaving the old route. It was incredible how clumsy I had been all that day. It seemed to take an age to change jibs. At every step, something got hitched up somewhere. To crown the non-performance, after I had bagged the number two jib, dropped it down the hold and hauled the number one bag forward, when I opened the bag and pulled the jib out to start hanking it on, it was the same number two jib that I just bagged with such an effort and made of heavy, stiff terraline, very difficult to get into its bag. The bag I had dumped in the hold was the one I'd just pulled out of it. That was the sort of clueless boob I made at every step that day. I suddenly realised that I could not stand on deck without hanging on, also that I had lost my balance. Well, this was a serious matter and a big worry. My legs felt as if I had just got out of hospital after being bedridden for a month. Whenever I had a job to do on deck, unless I had one hand free for a hold, I had to arrange so that a leg was bearing against something, otherwise I lost my balance. The loss of balance I accepted. It started with my big fall on the deck of Gypsy Moth 4 in 1966, after I had improved it with exercises, I then slipped and had another fall on the Cornish coast, shooting about ten feet down a rock face and hitting the very same place on my left leg when I landed on the rock below. I did some leg exercises, and it was once obvious that they were badly needed. I could not swing my left leg forward and back without the sole of the foot scraping the floor. I could not bend the foot upwards at all at the ankle, and I hadn't enough strength in the left foot to move the toes in a circle, bending the foot at the ankle. I decided that I would have to exercise seriously several times a day until I got back to normal. It may seem absurd that a single-hander racing a 57-foot, 29-ton yacht across the Atlantic could not have had enough exercise, but it must be that only certain muscles are used in working the ship. Other muscles and tendons are never needed, and by nature's relentless law, what is not used wastes away. At midnight, Gypsy Moth was becalmed in a heavy shower of rain, and I was hard at it, rain-catching for a couple of hours. I had the mizzen sail cover attached underneath the mizzen boom, and the rain ran off the sail onto the boom, and from there into the sail cover. Near the mast end of the boom, I funneled it down into a bucket in the cockpit. From that, I siphoned it into a 20-litre jerry can, which I hauled forward to the tank at the fore end of the main cabin. There, siphoning out of the jerry can into the tank. At the end of the shower, there were 14 gallons in the tank. At noon on the 20th, Gypsy Moth was becalmed and the day's run had been negligible. 73 miles sailed due to the calms and ghostly airs. But at 1400 hours, a breeze came in from the north by east. I rigged the pole out to port, boomed out the 300 and by 9 o'clock that evening, Gypsy Moth was doing over 8 knots. 
but 10 degrees off the required track of my speed run. To make good 200 miles per day when 10 degrees off track, a yacht must average 8.46 knots, 20 degrees off track 8.86 knots, and 30 degrees off track 9.6 knots to equal the 8.3 knots on the direct heading to the target. Sunday the 21st of March, 10.15, Gypsy Moth sailing speed has averaged 7.75 knots since the four-star fix at 18.50 last evening. 7.75 knots sailed would amount to 14 miles short of the 200 miles per day rate, but the fix to fix would be even less. So I guess this lot is not for the speedrun unless I am desperate for mileage at the other end to make up 1,000. The trade wind belt in which I can expect enough wind is only about 1,200 miles thick at the best, and if I put off starting until well inside it, I may run out of distance. I shall not be able to make up the 1,000 from the doldrums at the other end where 4 or 5 knots is good going. The best thing is to keep the run to now up my sleeve for emergency at the equator end. At noon on the 21st, the fix-to-fix -fix run was only 148 miles. The position 17 degrees 50 minutes north, 38 degrees 34 and a half minutes west, and the wind kept on veering until the heading was 25 degrees west of south. It was very light, six knots and useless for racing. I could not see any sense in squandering valuable easting, so I decided to drop the boom sail and turn into the wind. Gypsy Moth then headed nearly southeast. I felt depressed. She was already 130 miles into the 1,200-mile wind belt. Every mile of southing reduced the length of run possible. Although headed southeast, she was still making southing. I had got myself into a bad position, but what was best to do? It was no good squatting on the north edge waiting for a change. I might wait weeks or months. The trade wind planned their tactics months in advance. I could start across the belt southwestward to get a longer run in the good wind belt, but it would almost certainly spoil the chance of a fast run north later. At five o'clock the next morning, the wind had punched up in strength and Gypsy Moth sailing speed was up to 8.5 knots. This was on the fastest point of sailing without a pulled-out running sail, but not fast enough to allow for the percentage drop which must be reckoned on to arrive at a point-to-point -point speed. I was bursting with impatience. Gypsy Moth was now 250 miles into the 1,200-mile wide wind zone. I decided to start the speed run from the time of the first position fix I could get. Stars were off the menu at daybreak because of the cloud, but I glimpsed the moon through it, so thought I should be able to get a fix later from the sun and the moon and start the run at 0600 hours. Of course, I wanted to get onto the best course and pole out the 300 jib and set the topsail and take sextant shots of the sun and moon all at once. The moon gave me a lot of trouble because neither of its thin cusps or horns was long enough to make a sure tangent to the horizon. I had to follow the curve of the cusp round in my imagination to judge where the moon's edge would have touched the horizon if visible. To avoid an error here, I shot the upper limb of the moon three times, that is by putting the moon under the horizon in the sextant's mirror, and then the lower limb five times, the moon was near its zenith and only climbing very slowly at two minutes of arc in a minute of time. After adding or subtracting the semi-diameter of the moon for each shot to get the centre of the moon, I plotted the individual readings against time on graph paper for a check, and was astonished how accurate the individual shots were. None of the five shots I used was more than a minute and a half, representing one and a half miles, from the line drawn among them. The sun-moon fix was at 0724, 
at 13 degrees 1 and 3rd minutes north, 37 degrees 35 and a half minutes west. I stayed in an impatient, frustrated state all day, always fretting to finish one job and get on to the next, while studying the effect of changes of heading and different sail trims. Most of the time there was not enough wind, nine and ten knots, and nothing a record is made with. The highest wind speed recorded all day had been only fifteen knots, but I was sure that I should need that day's sailing to make up my thousand miles, and could only hope for extra speed in the middle of the zone to put up the average. At noon on the 23rd, the fix-to-fix run was 181 miles, and Gypsy Moth had sailed 198.3 miles to achieve it. The fix-to-fix distance of 181 miles needed to be increased by 10.5% to obtain 200 miles per day. Therefore, the sailing speed to produce this needed to be increased 10.5% from 8.3 to 9.4 knots. As Gypsy Moth had scarcely touched that speed on the whole voyage, and had not a hope in hell of keeping it up for five days on her then heading of 90 degrees to 95 degrees off the relative wind, the only hope would be to bear away enough to set Big Brother instead of the 300 jib. At 1835, I feel thoroughly punctured. This scheme has deflated suddenly today without a bang. I expect to abandon the run south tomorrow. I felt certain that today would be a 200 miler or very close to it, as Gypsy Moth only sailed 1.7 miles short of the 200 today and any current should be across the heading and not against it, it looks as if the log is over-reading. However, on further thought, I believe that there must have been an eddy against Gypsy Moth today. Putting that aside, the fact is that I have made a failure of today's run in the middle of the trade wind belt and now have only 750 miles left before reaching the equator and the doldrums. It is worse than that because there is a strong likelihood of running into the doldrums or light airs some way north of the equator. I cannot slant off southwest to get a longer run because that would ruin the chance of a run north and also I would expect great difficulty in getting away from the South American coast if I ended up getting too near to it. On Wednesday the 24th of March 0900, there is something unsatisfying and unpleasing about not sticking to one's original plan and I fear I must do that even if it dishes a chance of a fast run. Besides, there is a feeling of romance or something, perhaps adventure, about sailing down to the line. I had to ease the jib sheet because the mast has more bend to leeward at the top than I like. Gypsy Moth is going well, and now I would like some breakfast, after my leg and feet exercises, of course. Their lamentable weakness has improved already, also my balance. At noon on the 24th, the fix-to-fix run was 202.5 miles, and the distance sailed on the log... 212.1. The RT link with England that evening was terrible. I could hardly hear an intelligible sentence. I don't think that anything I wanted to say got through except maybe that I was sticking to my original plan and should be at the line in three days. When the RT does not work properly, it is an awful tyrant. I was sweating and dry-mouthed and my side was hurting where the lurching of the yacht caused the belt holding me into the seat to bite into my side while the edge of the chart table cut into my ribs and I got cramp trying to keep in a position where I could listen, talk and work the set. But I soon cheered up and at uh, 02.45 on the 25th I recorded that I was again reclining in my berth like a pasha, sipping a tin of, nay, a saucepan half full of delicious pea soup. This is after setting the poor old topsail, which gets so abused, but is doing an excellent job at present. 
The speed I reached for the latest period is up a third of a knot, compared with the last period before setting the sail, 9.2 against 8.9. At noon on the 25th, the fix-to-fix run was 189 miles. This was most disappointing because Gypsy Moth had logged 214.28 miles and had been registering over nine knots since six o'clock that morning, right through to noon. The total point-to-point run of the past three days from the 22nd to the 25th of March was only 569.5 miles, an average of 189.8 miles per day. The position at noon was 6 degrees, 0 minutes north, 37 degrees, 50 minutes west. Flat. That's me after that announcement by the navigation department. I really thought it was going to be a good run today. The log had been showing frequent touching of 10 knots and average speeds of 9 knots or over. But it was not to be. Conclusion, it confirms strongly that you cannot have a winner every time. Well, that's all for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. The next instalment will be available in the Mariner's Library shortly. And remember, of course, you've got all the content over on YouTube and the Mariner podcast. And of course, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. But for now, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you're safe and sound and I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.